was epic. I was like, whoa, things have gotten different here. <laughs> this is cool. Uh, thanks, Dan. That was really kind of you. Uh, I'm really excited to be back, y'all. Uh, it is really good to be here at North Bay. Uh, I remember when I was like probably like a two weeks onto the job that I had here, and I remember at the time Tyler Mitchell was here, and he was like, hey, you're going to do announcements this week, and I was like, I'm super nervous to do that, and so you've been here through the times where you saw me probably come up here and butcher some announcements and say some things, and I'm glad that you've been so graceful and kind and just so welcoming to me the entire time I was here, and so I'm really excited to be back and just to uh, share some things that God's put on my heart with you guys and just to be in community with you this morning, and so it's been a little over a year and a half since I uh, left CTK North Bay. Uh, I, I've honestly really missed you guys. I worked here from July 2018 to February 2022, half of that time being COVID. So some of you I haven't seen in a really long time. Uh, and I'm so thankful that this was honest, like the first job that I had in ministry. Uh, you all were nothing but kind to me and encouraging to me. You welcomed me into this church family. Uh, and it's just an honor to be back. And so... If I haven't met you, as, as Dan said, I'm Josh. I'm the student ministry pastor at Christ the King Bellingham, and I oversee the middle and high schoolers over there. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys remember Logan. Logan is also on my team over there, Logan Nelson. He is our middle school director, and people still confuse us with one another. And so that is not just a thing that happened here, uh, so that you all know. Uh, uh, before we get into it a little bit, I have a little confession to make. Dan asked me to preach probably like two or three months ago at this point, uh, and he told me we're going to be in a series called Grace and Grit, uh, in which you're going through the parables of Jesus, so I thought that's great. I picked out a parable. I was preparing for this message, praying about it, and then I honestly felt like I needed to go in a slightly different direction. Uh, the last few weeks, honestly, for me, have been like a really busy season, uh, and God is continuously teaching me to slow down. He's continuing to teach me to like be in his presence, remain with him. And so out of a combination of obedience to the Lord uh, in my own life, and out of a feeling like he wants to say something a little different this morning, uh, I'm not going to be in one of the parables, but uh, we are still going to be in the story of Jesus. We're still going to be talking about this theme, grace and grit. And so your listening guide references a different scripture than I'm actually going to be talking about because I changed it last minute. Uh, so just know that uh, you can still take notes and all those things, uh, but we're not going to be uh, in, in Luke 18 anymore. So just wanted you to know that up front. So now that we're on the same page, I'd love for us to pray. Uh, Lord, I want to... Uh, I just want your name to be glorified. Um, I want to listen to you right now. I want to be present with you. Um, God, would you help us all to be available to you right now? Um, God, anything that you want to say... Um, may that be highlighted. May that take root in the heart of the, the, the community here. And anything that I say that isn't of you, may that just fall off. Uh, God, I, I just pray that uh, you would say the things you would like to say, that you would help us to recognize you, that you'd speak in a way that we can easily recognize. Uh, and God, would this not just be, would we fight the, the tendency to just kind of sit and listen and go through the motions? And instead, God, would we press in and say, God, like, what do you actually want me to do? How are you, how are you asking me to respond? Um, uh, and God, would you produce fruit in the, in the ways you desire to, Lord? And so I just submit this to you. I pray that you would be glorified uh, and that you would help us to draw close to you in this time. We pray that in your name. Amen. 
So we are continuing our series, Grace and Grit, uh, and we've been looking at times in Scripture where the grace of Jesus is so fully expressed and at the same time, it takes real grit to press in and to choose to follow him. So personally, I think I really resonate uh, with, this, with this idea because I've experienced the abundant and beautiful grace of Jesus in my own life. And I've also experienced invitation to have grit and to say yes to his invitation, sometimes even in those same exact moments. When I think about my relationship with Jesus, it's one I honestly feel like I carry a lot of baggage into. And some of that baggage is amazing and it's filled with great memories like when he showed up and gave me purpose for my life when I was feeling like I didn't have really any direction or I didn't know where I was going or I had like Dan mentioned where I didn't know what my career plan was or what my life plan was or when I was feeling so unseen and he gave me a community that made me feel belong or more specific memories like when I attended a church camp when I was in high school and I felt his presence for the first time or when a group of strangers prayed over me and he used them to heal inner turmoil that was happening in my mind at the time. Some of the other baggage I carry isn't so great. It's, it, it's heavy. It can be filled with doubt. Sometimes shame. I think of the time where I lost one of my roommates when I was, uh, he, he passed away when I was 21 years old and I felt that deep question of why God did that happen. And I think of the times I had suicidal thoughts in high school and I needed Jesus to feel so much closer than he actually did. And I think of the many mornings I continue to wake up and think, ah, I don't need to spend time with you today, God. I'll choose self-reliance instead. Or I think of the regrets and the shame that I've had around sin. Even presently, I wrestle with that daily choice to deny myself and say, yeah, God, I will choose to draw close to you and I won't be in charge. There's a lot of different baggage that I feel like I carry into my relationship with Jesus. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think that we all have baggage when it comes to our relationship with God. We have moments of connection and belief in him, and we have moments of deep joy. And we also have moments of disappointment and shame and doubt and pain. And honestly, I think many of us could have had a whole range of those emotions even in this last week where you felt so close to God one day, and you're like, man, I'm feeling joyful, I'm feeling connected to this presence, and then another day, it's like, man, I don't even know where he is. I'm feeling so far, I'm feeling so distant, I'm seeped in shame. All the baggage we carry, I mean, even thinking about that, like all the baggage that we carry in our whole lifelong journey with God, the times that were hopeful and beautiful, the times where God changed you completely, the times where he healed someone in your life, the times where you got to be a witness to God giving someone new life, the times where you actually had glimpses of heaven on earth. And think about the other times where you felt totally abandoned, the times where you felt silent, the times where tragedy struck, the times where you felt let down and betrayed by the people of God. I don't know what your story is or all the details in those things, but I know that we all carry a lot of baggage in our relationship with Jesus. And there's tension in that. Our relationship with Jesus requires a lot of grace from him and a lot of grit. And there's a lot of tension in that in-between. There's tension in the unending grace of God and the courageous grit that we're invited to have. And in that tension, in our baggage, we have to go, all right, where's God? Where do we press in? And so to discuss this this morning, we're going to be actually looking at the disciple Peter and his interaction with Jesus soon after, after Jesus' resurrection. 
So Peter is very familiar with having baggage in his walk with Jesus. Peter is often thought of as being the most relatable disciple. He's had really high highs, and he has really low lows. He walked on water with Jesus, and he also sank in the same moment because he took his eyes off of him. He was one of the first disciples to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but then soon after, Jesus rebukes him and says, Get behind me, Satan. And just a little prior to the story that we're going to be reading, when Jesus is held in custody, Peter denies that he knows Jesus three separate times. Like he has a ton of baggage. And then the resurrection happens. And that leads us to where we're, going to ha- where we're reading from in our story today. We're going to be in John chapter 21. And in this space, Peter is full of shame, and he's full of regret, and he's full of memories, and likely a ton of questions on like what happens next. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 21. Uh, the text is also going to be on the screen. Uh, and it says this in verses 1 through 3. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So it's been a short time since Peter decided that, that he chose to deny Jesus. And we have to imagine the shame and the regret that he must feel in that moment. The longing that he had to have had to make things right. And in Peter's confusion and in his shame, what he does is he returns to the life that he knew. He returns to the thing that brings him comfort. Something that he can at least control. He was a professional fisherman, and so he returns to go fish. And I can relate to this, because honestly, when I'm overwhelmed and when I don't know where to go, I turn to the things that are often familiar and comfortable. I did this when I was uh, done with college. I didn't know what to do with my life, whether it should be a teacher, get into ministry, or something else. And sometimes that noise in my head would just be so overwhelming, and I would just like cope by just numbing myself just withdrawing. Just like I would look at my phone, I would just turn to TV shows, I would listen to a lot of music, I would do chores, I'd pacify my attention just to get by anything to avoid the silence and to, to avoid the silence and my fear. In my baggage and in my restlessness, I tend to rely on myself again, and I think that is exactly what's happening here with Peter. For the last 3 years, Peter has followed Jesus day in and day out. He had purpose with him. He believed Jesus was the one who would overthrow all other powers, and then Jesus died. It seemed that he had lost. It seemed like evil won again, and that there was no hope. But then Jesus rose again, and he came back, and the story isn't over. And then it's all so unexpected, and now Peter must be thinking, what happens now? Like, what do I do with myself? And so he's like, I guess I'll go fishing again. And we all do this. Like, I think we almost do this on a weekly basis. We have an amazing experience with God. We worship him. We connect with him on a Sunday morning. We feel convicted. And then we leave. And we return to the life we knew. We return to the self-reliance. We return to the cheap comforts. And those close moments with Jesus become distant memories. If you're familiar with something called the Camp High, that's something we refer to in student ministry, where we have this great experience with students at camp, with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and then we leave, and it's like, oh, was that even real? Like, uh, 
I, 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 it's so far in the distant, like I don't even know if I can, I don't feel him anymore. Peter makes the same mistake that I often make, and he thinks he can find peace and purpose through relying on himself and his comforts. And so we continue. Verse 4, it says this, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So it's in that space that Jesus meets Peter and the disciples, but they don't recognize him. They're too busy. They're too preoccupied with their failed efforts at comfort and self-reliance. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty familiar to me. We are so busy, we're hurried, we're preoccupied with our own lives, that even when we have time, we often choose to distract ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you, I, I, I literally, before I got on stage, I got a little report that said, here's your screen time average on the last week, and I was like, oh, shoot, that doesn't look very good. Uh, sometimes, you know, it can be like two hours, three hours a day, and that's ridiculous. Like, I've had to ask myself the question, and it's a question I want to ask you this morning, too. If Jesus stood on the shore of your life, would you even have the space to recognize him? Would you even have the space to be like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. I see him. I mean, think about it. Jesus not being recognized for who he is is literally his whole story. He was God in flesh, the promised Messiah, the king of kings, and we didn't recognize him. The religious leaders, the people who knew everything about God at the time, who were supposed to know everything about God, didn't recognize God when he was literally in their presence. In fact, they actually killed him. If Jesus showed up in your life, would you even have the space to recognize him? Would you have the tools to recognize him? Do you know his word? Could you recognize the sound of his voice? Do you recognize him when you see him? Too often we don't pay attention to him, we don't drop the things we're preoccupied with, and then we fail to see him as he's standing right there on the shore. And yet, here's another story. Despite our inability to recognize him, despite our preoccupation, here's another story where Jesus continues to offer grace, where he continues to move towards, and he continues to move towards the world, and in this case, he continues to move towards Peter and the disciples. In verses 5 and 6, it says, He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And I want you to know that Jesus is doing something very personal and very individual with Peter here. There's a reason he doesn't just say, Hey guys, it's me, Jesus. I'm over here. Pay attention. He's actually reminding Peter of something from his own story. He's speaking a language that Peter's going to actually be able to recognize. And he's using fish to do it. It's very specific. It's very individual. And I'll show you what I mean. The part of the story that this is in is almost identical to when Jesus first called Peter to follow him. In Luke chapter 5, early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus asks to use Peter's boat so that he can stand in it and teach people on the shore. So it says this in Luke 5, verses 4 through 7, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Once again, they were fishing with no return. Same exact stories happening here, right? But because, it continues, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So this is literally the same story that's happening in Luke 5 and in John chapter 21. This is the same story. Jesus invites them. When Peter's fishing all night, he catches nothing. Jesus invites them to throw their nets out again, to try again. And then they catch so many fish. Do you see what Jesus is doing here in this moment with Peter? How he's, how he's kind of calling back to an initial moment that Peter had with Jesus early on in his ministry. It's very specific. It's very per- personal and it's super full of grace. Jesus is reminding Peter of who he is by reminding him of who he's been. See, previously, Peter chose to take a risk. Like Peter was like, if you say so, I'll do it. I don't think it makes sense. If you say so, I'll do it. Previously, he chose to take a risk. He chose to have grit. He chose to let his nets, uh, he chose to let down his nets. And this risk led to three unimaginable years following Jesus. And here Jesus is again at the end of that journey, post-resurrection, saying, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Jesus is meeting Peter with grace, but he's also inviting him again to have some grit. He's like, will you take a risk again and trust me? Will you give it another go with him? See, I felt this invitation, honestly, a few years ago during COVID when I was angry, when I was like, I think everyone was angry during COVID. When I was angry with God, I was angry at the church. I was angry at our inability to be who I felt like the church is supposed to be, at my inability to be who I felt like God was calling me to be. And I had bitterness in my heart. And I felt like him was, during that time, I felt him say like, will you just keep trying with me? Like, will you just press it again? In your baggage, in your history, Josh, in your regrets, will you try the other side of the boat? Will you try the other side of the boat? Will you give it another go? Will you take a risk, trust Jesus, and show some grit? It would have been easy for Peter to be like, eh, I'm good. You're asking too much. I'll just keep fishing. But he and the disciples choose to try again and to catch so many fish that they can't bring it into the boat. Verses 7 through 8 say this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for, there were, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And so I'm, I love this moment so much because Peter, who hasn't had a personal interaction with Jesus since he denied him, Peter, who's the only feeling so much shame, hears that it's Jesus and he doesn't hide. He doesn't cower in fear. The moment that, the, that, that uh, John says, hey, it's the Lord, Peter goes, him? Like, that's him over there? And he can't even help himself. He just jumps in the water because he's so excited. He's like, oh my goodness, I need to get close to him. He just dives in, and he tries to get close to Jesus, and it gets even more beautiful when we look at how Peter first reacted to Jesus after catching a lot of fish. So, verse 8 of Luke 5 says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Do you see the difference? The first time Peter encounters Jesus, he says, go away, depart from me. I'm not worthy to be near you. I'm a sinner. 
And now we are here three years later, days after Peter denied Jesus in his lowest moment. His sin hasn't even been discussed. And yet the moment he recognizes who Jesus is, he does everything he can to get close to him. Like why? Why would that be? What's changed? Let me tell you what has changed here. Peter, over the last three years, actually knows who Jesus is now. After all that has happened, if Peter's first response to seeing Jesus is to swim as fast as he can to him, what's that tell us about who Jesus is? It tells us that Peter knows of Jesus' Jesus's immense love for him. When Peter first realizes who Jesus is, he responds by trying to create distance between them. He experiences shame, essentially saying, I'm not good enough to be in your presence. And often this is what we do in our shame. I've done this at least. I remember uh, specific examples when I was in high school. And I had hard time. I, I had times in high school where I objectified women in my mind. I looked at pictures that I shouldn't have. And my response in those moments was to go, God, get away from me. Like, I, do, I can't be near you. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. We can feel like we aren't good enough to be loved. We're too big of a disappointment. And then we can withdraw from Jesus. We can create distance between ourselves and God. And friends, I want to say this as gently as I can, but I think that this relate th th this results from having a perception of God that doesn't align with who He really is. I think it results from having a perception of who God is that isn't actually who He is. See, this is what Peter had when he first encountered Jesus. He had a perception, a false view of Jesus, and that resulted in him wanting to create distance. But he then... He knew the reality of who Jesus is, and Peter's understanding of who he is changed, and this caused him not to run away from God, but to draw close to him even in his sin. We've all been in those moments of deep shame. We've all created distance between us and God, and we know how much grit it actually takes to reject the lies, to reject the shame, and to actually draw near to the grace of Jesus again. Like how much courage that actually takes. But the reason Peter has the grit to jump into the water is because he knows that he's going to be met with the grace of God and Jesus' loving presence. Do we know the Jesus that Peter knows? What do you do when you recognize Jesus, even in your shame? Like, do you try to get close to him or do you respond? Do, do, you, do you withdraw? How we respond to Jesus tells us a lot about who we think he is. How we respond to Jesus tells us a lot about who we think he is. Does your perception line up with who Jesus actually is? Because one of the worst things that we can do in our sin and our, uh, is, is actually create distance. One of the worst things that we can do is just give in to shame and let the enemy have a foothold. And instead, what we can do is say, God, I, I need you. I need your grace. I want to draw close to you. Would you restore me? And actually worship him because of the abundant grace that he has already given us. Because, because he's, he, his sacrifice was for us. And so we can actually turn to him, and when we turn away, I think that actually keeps us further in sin, or keeps us steeped in our shame. But thankfully, Peter doesn't do that. It continues. Uh, it says, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. I love that Jesus is just cooking for them. They're just cooking breakfast. And while Jesus is making a meal, uh, it's beautiful in and of itself, there's still something deeper that is happening here for Peter. So take a note of the detail that when they arrived on shore, they saw a fire of burning coals. In other translations, it says a charcoal fire. Just three chapters earlier, John tells us about Peter's denial of Jesus. So picture this. Jesus has been bound up and arrested, and he is taken to the high priest's courtyard. Peter has been following Jesus and the soldiers in the dead of night. He, he arrives at the courtyard, and he waits as Jesus is interrogated, and he's mocked, and he's spit on, and he's beat. This is a man in Peter who said he would die for Jesus. But then a little servant girl comes up to Peter and says, you're one of the disciples, aren't you? And in Peter's fear and cowardice, he denies even knowing him. A few moments later, another young servant girl says, you're one of the disciples. Again, Peter denies knowing Jesus. And then in his shame, a third time, Peter is recognized and he denies Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus is beaten and battered self turns to look at Peter. Like, can you imagine that devastation? Like, how, like, rough that would just feel to experience that? And then Peter runs away, weeping bitterly. Now, take note of the setting that all of this took place in. In John 18, 18, a few chapters before what we're reading, and it says this, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was always with them, standing, was also with them, standing and warming himself. So the location where Peter betrayed Jesus was around a charcoal fire. And the first thing he and the disciples see when they get to shore is Jesus standing next to a charcoal fire, cooking a meal for them. Isn't that beautiful? As Peter is swimming to shore, think about it. He's walking towards Jesus. He sees the charcoal fire and the memory of being around the fire just a few nights before rushes into Peter's mind. As shame begins to creep in, he takes a closer look and he sees that Jesus is cooking some bread and some fish, and I think it hits him. He's still welcome to the table. The painful memory by the charcoal fire is being made new, and it's being replaced by the grace and love of Jesus. And in his own way, Jesus is letting Peter know, I haven't given up on you. I haven't abandoned you. I still want to be in relation, relationship with you. I'm still here. Peter's lowest moment is being made new as he is given the opportunity to receive a meal from the resurrected Savior of the world. Honestly, when I think of the baggage that I have with Jesus, there have been times where I don't want to face that charcoal fire. Like, there have been times where I don't want to face the reality of what I chose to do. Where I don't want to, I don't want to risk, and I don't want to have grit. And I just want to ignore, and I want to avoid. There have been times where I've hurt people. And one of the most prominent examples is with my own brother. See, I'm the oldest of three. And growing up, my middle brother and I didn't get along very well. And a lot of this was because of how I treated him. 
and I would belittle him, and I would be that classic older brother who was not the greatest older brother, and I would look down on him, and I would judge him, and I would constantly argue with him, and in turn, we weren't super close. And even though this occurred less as we got older, we still didn't have a great relationship even as I went into college. As I continued to grow in my relationship with the Lord, the way I treated my brother started to fill me with more regret and more shame. And I'd wish that we were closer, and I'd wish that I had treated him better. And I'd realized that I had betrayed Jesus in how I had treated my own brother, that I had this responsibility and this role that I hadn't honored. And when I felt this shame, I would often withdraw and I would ignore. Like I would just believe the lies that said it's too late to make things right. That I was making too big of a deal. He's probably moved on. If I brought it up, it would be making a more big deal out of it. And they wouldn't forgive me even if I tried. So for a while, I refused to face that charcoal fire. Instead, I, I, I chose to withdraw. I chose to ignore. I chose to avoid. But then eventually, the Lord invited me to have courage. To show some grit. And to face what I had done. He invited me to pursue a relationship with my brother. Not just a one-time pursuit, like pursue him. To seek forgiveness, to reconcile. And through God's grace and my grit, my brother has become one of my best friends. He was my co-best man at my wedding. We, we, we talk all the time, we text all the time, we talk about movies often. We're just, we're, we're great friends again. But it wasn't until I was willing to face that charcoal fire that I would experience healing. It is so difficult for us to face the charcoal fires in our own lives. We think it's too late. We hold on to too many regrets. We want to choose to avoid because it is honestly so much easier. Instead, we choose to make sure we're always fishing. <laughs> we, we choose to make sure that we're too busy to recognize Jesus on the shore of our lives. Some of us are too reluctant to try the other side of the boat to dive into the water when we see him because we actually know that Jesus might invite us to look at our pain. Some of us might actually really believe and know that God has grace and forgiveness for us, but we struggle to have grit and courage because we're afraid, so we keep God at arm's length. Friends, I want to say this in the most loving way. The only way that Jesus can redeem those painful and shameful moments in your life is if you go there with him and you let him in. Will you draw near to the charcoal fires and allow him to redeem you. And allow him to meet you in it. And allow him to make you a meal. If you never get off the boat, you won't have the chance to eat with him. And experience his healing and redemption. And you might be sitting there going, all right, so what, guest speaker? Like, I don't know you super well. I haven't seen you in a few years. So what? What if I'm fine just getting by? Like, I'm fine ignoring the past. That works well enough for me. I've gotten this far. Coping in the ways that I see fit are fine, as long as they aren't too damaging or hurting anybody. Why does it matter if this is good enough, if I enjoy my life? And that might be true. Like I said, it's certainly a lot easier to avoid the charcoal fires of our past. But let me just ask, though, what if this is what Peter did? Like, what if Peter didn't try the other side of the boat? Like, what if Peter had stayed on the boat? What if he didn't swim as fast as he could towards Jesus? Like, what would have happened is he would have missed the calling on his life. Like, he would have missed out on seeing the miracles that God wanted to do in and through him. He would have missed out on experiencing the goodness and the company of Jesus. He would have missed 
on experiencing God's healing and his provision. The world, the church, all of us literally would have missed out on who Peter became. We are benefiting from the story of Peter 2,000 years later because he chose to press in. And he would have missed. And for what? So that he could fish a little more? So that he could just be fine, like ignoring his past and his pain? So he could just keep watching Netflix? So he could make some extra money and experience a little bit more comfort? Like that would have been tragic. And I'm here to say to myself and to you that your life matters more than that. Your life matters. I'll say it again. Your life matters. God has a purpose for it. God wants to do something in you, use you, shape you, bring about goodness and healing in your life, bring about miracles in your life. He wants to partner with you to bring about goodness and restoration in this world. You matter. Don't numb yourself through life. Don't settle for less than what God has for you. Don't waste it. Don't avoid. Don't shove everything down and just push through. Have courage. Have grit. Trust that the Lord is with you. Try the other side of the boat again. Pay attention to the Lord standing on the shore of your own life. And then swim after him with all you have. He has a purpose for your life, just like he did with Peter. Jesus can and will redeem you. And that terrible moment in your life, that one that you don't even want to think about, he can redeem it. He can heal. Don't settle for cheap comforts and avoidance. Jesus wants to do way more than that. He has plenty of grace, but it takes some grit to make the choice to draw close to him. John 12, 21 through 13 says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. So, friends, I believe that Jesus' invitation here is the, same, uh, is the same to Peter and the disciples as it is to you. And it's come and have breakfast. I think that that's the invitation for us this morning. Come and be in friendship and fellowship with me. Receive what I have to offer you. Let me redeem your sin and shame. Let me love and care for you. Come with all the baggage you have, no matter what it is, and bring it to me. Meet me with it. Lay it at my feet. Come and have breakfast. The last time the disciples had a meal with Jesus, it was the Last Supper. The day before his death, where Peter declared he would never deny Jesus. Here we are, a few days later, after Jesus has in fact done that after the disciples abandoned Jesus, after his death, and it would have been understandable for Jesus to say, I'll never eat with them again. They gave up on me. They deserted me. But that was the Last Supper, and this is the first breakfast. Here he is saying, come to the table again. Come have a meal with me. I haven't abandoned or given up on you. I'm with you. Come and have breakfast with me. At breakfast, Peter's hunger for redemption was met with a meal by the charcoal fire. Like Peter, we have all denied Jesus plenty of times. We have denied him through our self-reliance, through our apathy, through our avoidance, through our worship of others, and more. We have all so much baggage, just like Peter, but here's the deal— Peter's grit and willingness to continue to say yes is the best thing that he brings to the table. That's the best thing Peter has to offer. 
His availability to Jesus is the best thing that he has to offer. It's not his intellect. It's not his talents. It's not his skill set. It's not his experience. It's his willingness to say, yes, Lord, I will jump in the water and I will swim. I will draw near to you. And this is true of you, too. The best thing you can offer Jesus is not your skill set, your achievements, your talents. Your best thing you can offer is your willingness to say yes to him. It's your willingness to jump into the water so that just so you can have a chance to dine with him. It's your whole self. That's what we have to offer. It's our whole self, our willingness to be like, yes, Lord, I will press in. The question is, will you do what Peter did? Will you swim to him? Will you face the charcoal fire? Will you have breakfast with him? And so as we wrap up, I want to invite the band back up. Uh, and I just want to give us some, some space to actually think about and make this tangible and even just begin to come face those charcoal fires. Because if I know anything, actually looking at those things is not a one-time experience or one-time moment. That's a process of entering in faithful, daily, like, God, I will choose to press in, know you, let you see all of me, and I want to see all of you. But I just want to give us a few moments this morning to just, like, process, to think, to make some space for the Lord, to make this tangible. And so what I'm going to invite us to do right now is uh, uh, nothing weird. Just, cl just close our eyes so we can help us focus. Uh, and we're just going to be still for a second. And I want you to think a little bit about Peter's story and what part of his story might resonate with you. Like when Peter was, was invited to try the other side of the boat, or Jesus is on the shore, and he's like, he has the opportunity to swim, or when walking up to that charcoal fire. Like what about the story might resonate with you, and how might Jesus be speaking to you? What's that thing going on in your head where Jesus is maybe inviting you to draw close to him? Is there a specific area? Whatever's re resonating, I just want to give you a moment to talk to Jesus about it. Whatever it is, talk to him about it. Simply say, God, I don't even know where to begin, but would you help me here? Ask him. You might even bring something up that has nothing to do with what I talked about.
got to, I, I just have the sense, and uh, I, I feel like this is always true of the Lord, but I just feel like in this this morning that, that the Lord wants to free some of you of something, like free you in some way from whatever it is that's keeping you in bondage and slavery. Maybe it's a repetitive habit, a repetitive thing that you've been experiencing. And I just feel like the Lord wants to free you, and, that he, and, and I want you to know that he can. But it starts in time with him going to him and so whatever the Lord is stirring in your heart whatever he's stirring in your heart this week my encouragement to you is to make a plan to do something about it if you're in a small group talk to your small group about it if you're in another community talk to your community about it make a plan to actually say yeah I want to take a step towards whatever it is, or whatever it is the Lord might be inviting you into feeling God stir something in your heart is just the beginning keep going have the grit keep responding, keep pressing in. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to have, uh, we're going to enter into worship again. And so during this time of worship, I invite you to respond to the Lord, whatever that looks like for you. If that's in silence, if that's in, if that's in some prayer, if that's just, I, I got to continue to talk to God about the thing I was just talking to him about. If that's like, I want to declare God, like I want to worship you. I want to draw close to you. I want to come to you in that charcoal fire. I want to experience your redemption and healing. We just open that space up. That's what we invite you into. And so during this final song, uh, I don't even know, song or songs, <laughs> uh, let's press in together. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Holy Spirit, I believe you're stirring something in our hearts. I believe that you want to bring freedom to people in this room, that you want to deliver them from, from maybe years of regret, years of shame. God, if there's something hidden that someone is experiencing in this room, something that people don't know about, would they have the courage to share that with someone this week? Would they have the courage to meet each other in grace? Would they have the courage to share that with you, God, and to know that you are so right there with them in it, meeting them with love, God, meeting them, wanting to make them a meal, wanting to restore that, whatever that is, God, you want to bring healing to your people. And so, God, I pray for courage in myself, but in all of us. I pray that we would be able to recognize and see your grace and respond to it. God, would you break the chains that we exist in, that we're putting ourselves in. And God, would today be the start of something new for a lot of us, God. Would today be the start of saying, I don't want to be enslaved by that anymore. I want, I want Jesus. I want his freedom. So God, we commit ourselves to you. We ask for your grace and your leadership. We ask that you would just be with us as we go into our week, and we pray that you would be glorified and worshipped in our lives. In your name we pray.